Uh, I just want to touch briefly on um, the whole what's going on in Haiti before we begin. Um, I know many churches are taking up offerings and sending sending the money down, and and I really thought about that and, and kind of labored over that whole thing. You know, what should we do as a church? Um, and this is what I came up with. Um, I encourage you, and, and I sent this out in the email, I encourage you all to do some work. It's very easy for you to give me a check. We'll write out a big one. We'll send it off to an organization. You've done your duty, and, and you feel better about yourself. But you see, we, we want to write a better story. And so I encourage you to do some research, do some investigating. Look at, look at what's going on in Haiti right now. Look at organizations that are actually taking part in the relief effort. Find out who's doing what, how they're doing it. And then if God puts it on your heart, make a donation. Don't just make it easy on yourself. And I know because we're doing it this way, many of you who would have, who would have wrote out a check or reached in your pocket and gave money this morning... Um, because it would have been very easy, many of you, you're not going to do anything because now you have to actually do something. You have to actually investigate. You actually have to do some legwork. But for those of you who might take this challenge on, this is the beginning of writing a better story that we would get involved, not just with, with writing our name on the bottom of a little check, but that we would engage the world personally. So that's, uh, if you don't agree with it, you know, that's kind of too bad because that's what we're doing. So, so, um, but, but please, please take some time, look into what's going on. And then if God, maybe, maybe God calls you to do something else than to send money. Maybe you get involved in a whole different way. And I would not want to take that opportunity from you. So, amen. So, Back in November, we're going through the Gospel of John. Remember the Gospel of John? It's been a while. And we ended right in the middle of chapter 6. Like right when Jesus was just like throwing it down, man. He was just like getting in the faces of people. But in order for us to finish chapter 6, I think we have to review. I think we have to go back and we have to look at the entire chapter and how it kind of flows to the very end. And so if you have your Bibles, anybody need a Bible? We have Bibles on the back table if you need them. Just raise your hand. Don or John will bring you one. No, you're all good? Okay. So if you have your Bibles, open to chapter 6 of the Gospel of John, and I will begin to read in verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? So the story starts out with Jesus. He is on the move. He is doing stuff. He is performing miracles. He is teaching people. He has the attention of a a large crowd. Can you imagine the buzz that he's creating? As he goes from town to town, people are just like amazed at the things that he's doing. And and I imagine that there's this there's this undertone of murmuring going on. It's like, is is this is this the guy? I mean, is this the guy that we've heard so much about from our ancestors? Can this be the one that's, that's going to free us from the oppression of Rome? Can, can he be 
the answer? Can he be the one that will save us? And as Jesus continues to do ministry, the crowd gets bigger and bigger and bigger until he gets to the point, man, where he just looks out and he sees this whole group of people. And the scholars say it's somewhere like 5,000 men. But as we looked at a couple months ago, um, I'm sorry, the Bible says it's about 5,000 men, but scholars would say that between women and children and everybody there could have been like 15,000 people. That is a crowd, okay? These are the people that are following Jesus. Jesus has a mega church. I mean, if it was today, there would be book deals for him. There would be speaking tours for him. He would be headlining every church planning conference in the state right now. There is a buzz about Jesus. 15,000 people and being a compassionate man that he is. He wants to feed them. And so he tells the boys, listen, sit everybody down. Sit everybody down and, and, and we're going we're gonna to feed them. And so the people, the people I'm sure don't know what's going on. And so they take their seats. And remember, there, there's probably all this talk about, is, is, this, is this the one? And so Jesus feeds this crowd with pretty much a Lunchable, a few, a few fish and a few pieces of bread. 15,000 people eat. And the people start to think, oh, is is this the prophet that was, that was prophesied in the Old Testament? The one that's going to come as, as Moses came? Remember, Moses freed the people from, from the oppression of Egypt. He led the people out. Is Jesus the one that's going to save us? Is Jesus the one that's going to bring us out from this terrible oppression of Rome? Is he our answer? Is he our savior? I mean, he can heal the sick. He can feed all these people. Could he be the one in fact they were so intrigued with him they wanted to make him king jesus knew about it but these people man they want they want to make him the king because they believed he is the answer they believed jesus was is the savior now how many of you throughout your christian experience have been told that Jesus is the answer. Anybody? How many of you have been told that Jesus is the Savior? Yeah? It's, it's a very common thing that we just love to throw around in Christian world. You know, Jesus, Jesus is the answer. It's always our response. Jesus is our Savior. It's like, if, 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 you're, having, if you're in need, well, Jesus is the answer. He can save you. If you have trouble in your marriage, Jesus is the answer. He can save you. And if you have trouble in your finances, Jesus, he's the answer. He can save you. Are, you. are you wrestling with an addiction? Guess what? Jesus, he's the answer. He can save you. Do you have sin in your life? Jesus is the answer. He can save you. And we just throw this thing around like, like, it's, like it's just water. You know, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. I don't disagree with that statement one bit. I know that the world needs Jesus. I know that he is the answer. But it's interesting to me that people, people wanted to make him king. And he's like, I'm out of here. And, and, and the story says that he goes up into the mountains and he hangs out by himself. I'm thinking, wouldn't it be easier for Jesus if they just let him, if he just let them make him the king? 
I mean, it would have been much easier. He would have had the ear of an entire nation. They would have been listening to him. He could have started a revolution from a place of power. He would have been king. But for whatever reason, Jesus chooses not to. You see, even the world back then needed Jesus. And he is the answer. But we'll get there. So everybody's fed. Everything's good. They close down the restaurant. Night falls. The boys get into the boat. They decide they're going to head over to Capernaum. Now, Jesus, he's going to go with them, but he's not going to get into the boat with them. He's going to do some cool water walking, which, come on, man, that, that's just cool, right? I mean, he didn't have to really do that. He could have walked around on a land, but he's got a, I, I think he's just flexing a little divine muscle, like, because he freaked them out. I mean, they're just like, oh my goodness, it's a ghost, right? He's like, hey, chill, it's just me. So he gets in the boat, and they end up in Capernaum. And so the next morning, the crowd wakes up, right? Where's Jesus? He's, he's gone. It, it, and they start to look. And I wonder if the questions start swirling around. Where is he? I mean, this is our answer. This is the guy that's supposed to save us. Now understand that where they were and where Capernaum is, it's a very short boat ride over to where Jesus is. In fact, it's also a very short walk if they went around the pond. And so there's this mass exodus of people that are going to look for Jesus. And so let's just say for the sake of the story, say, say there's 15,000 people, right? And say only 10,000 decide that, that we got to find this guy. I mean, I mean they got to be thinking, this is the guy we want to make king. Where'd he go? He disappeared. And so say 10,000 people, they decide to follow Jesus to Capernaum. And, this, and the text says that they got in the boats and they sailed. And I'm sure people, they, followed, they walked around the pond and they get there, right? How cool is it that 10,000 people want to follow Jesus. They, they can't get enough of him. They want to hear what he has to say. You know what? I've been, I've been preaching for, you know, a bunch of years now. No one has ever followed me home after a Sunday service wanting more. Now, don't get me wrong. If you did, you'd probably weird me right out and I'd call the police. But, I mean, that's pretty cool that these people wanted more of Jesus. And so they follow him. And I love, I love what they say when they get there. Um, verse 25 of chapter 6. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? That's like saying, oh, Jesus, fancy meeting you here. I didn't expect you to be here. I mean, me and my 10,000 friends, we're just out for a walk, out for a sail. And wow, we didn't expect you here. And listen to the words of Jesus. Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Jesus looks at this crowd, thousands of people, looks at them right in the face, and he says this, man, you have followed me for the wrong reason. You just don't get it. You're here because I fed you, and that's it. Well, but, but these people, they followed him. They, they want to make him king. They think he's the answer. And Jesus looks right at him and says, you are here for the wrong reasons. And Jesus will go on, verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. 
But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. They have seen all the things that Jesus has done. They have heard the words that he has spoken and they still have no idea who his true identity is. All whom the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Jesus has begun to take this whole conversation to a place that these people have never expected. He is pulling no punches. He is taking out all the stops. I can imagine if he's thinking, you, you want me to be king? You think that I'm the answer to all your problems? You want to know the truth? And no pun intended, but they cannot handle the truth about what Jesus is about to say. This is what, and this is the response in verse 41. At this time, the Jews began to grumble. They began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? They know where Jesus came from. They, they saw him grow up as a, as a little boy. They know his mom. They know his dad. They probably know his brothers and sisters. He's been among them for so many years and probably nothing really special about him up until this point. And who does he think he is to say that he has come down from heaven? Can you imagine what this crowd is thinking at this point? This is the guy they wanted to make king. They thought this guy was the answer to their questions. They thought this guy was the answer to their problems. They thought he was going to save them. And now he's all full of himself. He came down from heaven. Come on, for real? I thought he was going to make a good king. You see, it would seem that Jesus has begun to take these people to the breaking point. This is not what they expected. This is not what they signed up for. He's the answer and he's all full of himself. He came down from heaven. And to think I wanted to make him king. What was I thinking? What is he talking about? Watch your eyes. And so people begin to shake their heads. And they begin to walk away. This crowd that once wanted Jesus to be king cannot take his word serious anymore. They, he has brought them to their breaking point. And could you imagine what the 12 disciples thought? Oh, well, Jesus, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you talking about? Jesus, people are starting to leave. You have to do something, and Jesus will. Verse 43. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. And I think the original Greek translation is quit your sniveling. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. 
It is written in the prophets, they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. And only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But there is a bread that comes down from heaven, which people may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus is claiming that God has sent him from heaven. And he says, unless, unless God draws you, man, you, you, you have no chance of following me. Look, look what it says in verse 41 again. I'm sorry, in verse... Um, 45. It is written in the prophets, they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. What Jesus is saying, if you really knew who God was, if you really had a relationship with God, then you would know who I am and you would be following me for the right reasons. And then Jesus pushes just a little bit more. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Okay, this is going in a really weird direction for these people. This is like, this is like pagan cult weird, eating human flesh. And, and, and listen to me now. This is not about Jesus alluding to communion. That would make us all feel so much better. Wouldn't it like, oh no, he's just talking about communion, that, you know, the last supper thing. No, no, no. This is, this is a crude and forceful statement that is starting to offend a lot of people. In fact, listen to what they say. Verse 52. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. So it's, it's, it's evolved from a grumbling to man, now, now they're getting aggravated. Now they've begun to argue sharply. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus, he's, he once again, he's pushing. Jesus once again will begin to bring these people to a place they had not expected to go. Jesus again begins to bring them to their breaking point. was not what they expected this is not the answer that they wanted who does this guy think he is he expects us to be a cannibal and eat flesh human flesh what is wrong and to think that we wanted to make him king what, what was i thinking could you imagine what these people had felt as jesus once again takes them to a place that they never ever expected jesus would bring them to their breaking point. And I would think so many people would begin to leave even more. Imagine what the 12 apostles are thinking now. Oh, this, this ain't good. I mean, just yesterday, just yesterday, they looked out over a sea of people that are following Jesus, maybe 15,000, maybe 20,000 people following Jesus. They're thinking, we got a good ministry going on. And they're all here for, for this one man. And you know what? The 12 of us, we're in tight with him. We're, we're his peeps, man. We're the boys. 
We're the ones that sat everybody down and fed them. And then we collected the baskets. He's the one that takes up uh, us up on the mountains to teach us individually. We're, we're his boy. And, and, and now things have begun to fall apart. People are arguing. People are going away mad. People are angry. This is not what they expected. They begin to leave. They begin to walk away. Everything seems to be falling apart. And I wonder if they pleaded, Jesus, do something. People are leaving. Do something. And Jesus will. Verse 53. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. And this finally puts the rest the idea that, that Jesus is talking about communion. Communion does not give us eternal life. Communion is a symbol of what Christ has done for us. Jesus is saying, unless you eat my flesh and unless you drink my blood, you got nothing. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. For the fourth time in this chapter, Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, listen up. I've got something very important to say to you. And there's some authority in his words. But these words to a Jewish person are disgusting. Not only is he asking them to eat his flesh, but to drink his blood. You don't do that as a first century Jew. I'm, we don't do that now if you you know, have half a mind. But, but anyway, so, so, so this was disgusting to them. In fact, as far back as Genesis chapter 9, it says, you will eat no meat that still has its lifeblood in it. This was appalling to the Jews. And Jesus continues to push. And Jesus continues to move this in a direction that they did not expect. This is, this is a very graphic and disgusting way to get your point across. Now, okay, I know we like to say, well, no, 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 Dennis, really. This is just Jesus telling us that we need to take all of him inside us. And, and, you know, everything of Jesus has to be deep into our inner self. And isn't that, isn't that such a nice way to say it? I mean, I mean, really, I mean, it just makes us feel so much better that Jesus isn't some crazy, whacked-out Middle Eastern freak, right? I mean, he doesn't really expect people to eat his flesh or drink his blood. And that's a great interpretation for us to have over a thousand years to actually look at this passage and say, oh, that's what he meant. But I'm thinking, if that's all that Jesus wanted to do here, if that's all he wanted to say here, he could have thought of a much better way to say it instead of offending an entire culture. Verse 66. I'm sorry, verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet they are, yet some of you do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. Jesus continues to push. Jesus continues to, to move this in a direction that, that 
that is going to offend people. And now, and now these are his disciples that he is in their face. And now these are, these are people that are, that are kind of close to him. Disciples would have been his students and these students would be learning from him. They'd be following the rabbi for, for, for the cause of, of learning and studying and understanding. And then their job would be to go out and teach the very things that Jesus taught them. And Jesus knows that, that he's offended them. It says in verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and didn't follow him. Jesus begins to continue to bring people to the breaking point. This is not what those disciples expected. What kind of teaching is this? This is a hard teaching. Eating flesh, drinking blood. What is wrong with him? We wanted to make him king. This is not what we signed up for. He made a mistake. I thought he was the answer. I thought he was our salvation. Jesus continues to push people to a point breaking and more people are leaving. This one huge crowd that just the day before wanted to make him king has now dwindled to very few people. The crowd has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. What, what, what is he doing? Jesus is on the top of his game. It's a mega church. And he decides to grow his church smaller. Can you imagine what his 12 disciples are thinking now with their jaws just kind of hung open like, what is happening here? And he turns and he looks at them and he says, so do you want to leave too? And the way it's, the way it's phrased in, in the original language, it's very sarcastic, very challenging as a negative tone. Like, do you want to leave too? And listen to the words of Peter. Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. After all of this, thousands of people following Jesus, he is left with just a small group of followers a small core group who finally have come to the place of understanding that he is the Holy One of God. These people, these men have put their faith in him. They've put their trust in him. No matter what, no matter what he was saying, they decided that he is the Holy One of God. It looked like Jesus was heading up a very large, popular movement during his day. But people began to see what he stood for. People began to see what he was like. People began to see the real Jesus. At times in the Gospels, Jesus is very loving and he's very compassionate. But there are other times in the Gospels where he is wild and he is crude. And sometimes I would say he's even scary. There's a story in Mark chapter 9 where, where he tells the disciples, you know what, guys? In three days, I'm going to be given over to men. I'm going to be killed, and then I will rise. For, uh, I'm sorry. I will be given over to men. I'll be killed, and in three days, I will rise again. 
And it says that the disciples had no idea what he's talking about. And they were afraid to ask him. Sometimes Jesus was very, very intense. But he was never this way just for the sake of being this way. He was never this way just for to see if he can shock people. He was always pressing into a deeper truth. He was always doing it for a bigger plan. He would challenge people to change. And so I think for us, we have to ask ourselves, has Jesus ever taken you to your breaking point? Has Jesus ever challenged you enough in your life where he just brought you to that place of, Ugh. do you follow close enough for that to happen? Or do you just watch and engage from a distance, a safe distance away? Has Jesus ever challenged you in your faith? If you're all comfortable and cozy in your relationship with him, I would say that maybe, man, <laughs> You might be in trouble. You, you might be in trouble. When was the last time that you opened this book and you read those words and it challenged you to your very core? It brought you to a breaking point, a breaking point of how you're living your life, a breaking point in the things that you believe in. Has Jesus ever brought you to that place? You know, he never came to make your life all nice and comfortable. Yes, he's come to redeem us. Yes, he's come to reconcile us. Yes, he's come to restore us. But I guarantee you in that process, in that work, he is gonna scramble your eggs. He is gonna mess you up. Because sometimes Jesus was intense and he wants to challenge. He wants to challenge so that we can change. He wants to challenge the way we think. He wants to challenge what we believe. He wants to challenge the way that we are living our lives, not just moving through status quo. Has Jesus ever brought you to your breaking point? And, and, and when he gets in your face and, and you hear those words or you sense that feeling of, of, of does, does this offend you? What are you going to do? What will you do? Will you walk away? Will you just leave? This isn't the answer that I wanted. This isn't what I expected. This, this isn't how this was supposed to play it out. This is not the way I want to be saved. Or will you stand firm and say, no, Jesus, where else can I go? You have the words, eternal life. One of the real dangers in all this is, that many people, when faced with that, those hard truths of, of following Jesus, they will walk away. But, but, but the real danger is they'll just hide in church. You see, we can, we can walk away from the, from, the, from the depths of the truths that Jesus wants to reveal in our lives, and we can hide very comfortably in church world, and no one will ever know that you were part of the crowd. <sighs> You're safe. And we would live a life of just simple monotony, never realizing our potential in the kingdom of God. Has Jesus ever brought you to your breaking point? And if he has, what did you do? Do you really believe? Do you really live the fact that he has the words of life? Do you just walk away saying, this is, this is not what I expected? 
Church, I believe with all my heart, Jesus is the answer to all of our brokenness. I believe with all my heart, Jesus is the answer to all of the brokenness in the world. Jesus is the savior of all things. But, but what, what the problem is that, that we believe that he is the answer that we want. He is the answer that we're very comfortable with. He is the answer that fits into our lifestyle perfectly. He is the answer that fits into our social standing. He is the answer that, that fits very well in my career choice, in my career path, and in the timeline that I am living. And yes, sometimes his answers and his truths are easy. But other times, other times, he will bring you to your breaking point. And you have a decision to make. What will you do? See, that's the very place that he wants to go. He wants to get to the very core of you because that's where the work begins. Has Jesus ever brought you to your breaking point? And did you just walk away or did you stand firm and say, where else can I go with the words of life? Jesus wants to change the world. And he's going to do it by changing each one of us, one at a time. Let's pray. God, we know that uh, you love us, and we know that that you bring us to those hard places, not just to tease, not just to hurt us, but you want something better for us, God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our resolve and give us courage to go there with you, that we would not be like the crowd and walk away, that we would not have the expectation that it all fits nice into our own little world, but that we would open our lives to living the truth, the words that give life, the truth of Jesus. So God, thank you. Thank you that you, um, you give us your word. Thank you that you love us so much that you won't let us stay right where we are. Amen.